0: Beginning in verse 19 this morning, and we will go through verse 22. <clears throat> but let us go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. And we sing from the depths of our soul this morning of your goodness your word and how we pray god that you speak that you change us that your word father shape and fashion us into your holiness and your glory that we might walk and be in the likeness of you what a what an awesome and yet weighty privilege to be able to sit this morning and hear your word proclaimed. The words of life, the words of truth that forever impact and transform our souls. So I pray this morning, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would grip our hearts with your word of truth, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, Father, Illumine our minds, illumine our eyes that we see the truth of your word, that we take it deep within and Lord, that it transforms us and we are forever changed because of your goodness, your provision and because of your word. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in the strong and the powerful name of Christ. Amen. If you found your place in verse 19, say amen. amen. All right, let us read verse 19 through verse 21. This you know, my beloved brethren, or know this, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve or produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and abundant wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. For the sake of understanding the context, let's read through verse 27. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The title of the message this morning is Hearing and Doing the Word. And This morning we will not make it all the way through verse 27, though it's one passage that we'll carefully take together over these next two sermons. This morning we focus on hearing, on hearing the word. But hearing naturally leads to doing. And that is when we hear the word of God proclaimed, when we um, hear God in speaking to us through prayerful meditation, through scripture, through the preaching of the word, through meditation on the word, when we hear from God, ought to transform our life and change the things we do and impact us at the level of what we do. And so this morning, I want us to see that the Word of Truth instructs and transforms us that we might grow in all respects to practical Christian living. That is, that the exercise of our faith as we are taught by the Word of God, by the Word of Truth, is something that we ought to be uh, engaging in, exercising our faith daily. And so this morning, first, I, I want us to see this first point, that the word of truth instructs us. That the word of truth instructs us. We see this in verses 19 and 20. In verses 19 and 20, James begins by saying, or he says, Know this, my beloved brethren. And... He begins with a command, know this, my beloved brethren... As he begins with this command and is, is challenging us and commanding us to know this very truth that he has been preaching about, the word of truth, he's been preaching about walking through these trials, the two tests to consider it joy in the midst of trials and to withstand, withstand temptation as we walk through these trials. And withstanding temptation means that we don't go down this road of temptation leading us to uh, fall into our own desires, leading us to sin, which then leads us to death. Rather, we are to know this, trusting in God. He says, know this, my beloved brethren. And it's just instructive for us as well in the beginning to understand once again, and we might get tired of hearing me say this, but I hope not, as we walk through that James in his writing, in his te- in his writing and addressing the church, it is just that that he is writing to. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers And so as James is writing, he says, know this, my beloved brethren, it's tender language, right? Beloved brethren, he he has a, a fond affection for them and he wants them to be exhorted and to be encouraged. And so he says, know this, my beloved brethren. And then he begins to give us the instruction. Now the word of truth is that which we saw in verse 18 when he says, In the exercise of his will, that being the Father, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we might be a first fruit among his creatures. And so this is God's word, his word of truth that has literally brought us forth. He has birthed us by the word of truth. And this being according to his will. And then we see here three exhortations about how the word of truth works in our lives. Now the fact that he says brethren, he's speaking specifically about those who trust Jesus for salvation Those who come to both and and are bond service both God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he's talking about those who have a, a faith in Christ as the Messiah, the one who has come from God. These are those. These are the ones who make up the church. And so he's giving us three exhortations. First, as the word of truth instructs us first, we are to be quick to hear. We are to be quick to hear. You know, this really shouldn't be something that's an aha moment for us as we consider that we're to be quick to hear. I mean, even our, our basic anatomy teaches us that we ought to listen twice as much as we what? Speak, right? We have two ears, one mouth, right? Real practical here. That we ought to listen more than we speak. And so James is saying be quick to hear. But I, I think what's important for us to understand when he says be quick to hear, it, it's that he's telling us not to hear quickly, okay? Not to just be rash in our, our listening so that we hear what somebody says at least halfway and, and then we go about doing our own thing, doing what we want to do, or, or kind of dismiss what they say and don't don't really get what's being said completely. Instead, he's saying that we are to quickly come to the place of... Hearing, you know, we've all been in those conversations, right? Where in the midst of the conversation, uh, we begin thinking about how we want to respond while the other person is still talking, right? If you say that you haven't done that, I I think you're lying. We've all done that. we've We've all been there. We've all experienced that. And that would be an example of not being quick to hear. That would be an example of rather hearing quickly so that we can respond in the way that we want to respond, right? But that's not exactly all that James is saying here and that we are to be quick to hear. It, it's more than just speaking in general conversation. So I, I want to point out what James is saying. What, what I believe he's pointing us back to primarily, and then general conversation is secondary. But I want you to see the connection between what James is saying for all the way through up to the point that we have arrived at this morning in verse 19 because I think it's very important for us to understand. In fact, it, it's just tremendous to see how even grammatically James is teaching us about what being quick to hear really means, even in the verb of hearing. There is this challenge to us that we would tarry long in hearing. That we would be quick to come to this point of hearing, but then once we arrive at hearing, we would quickly run to hear. But once we arrive there, that we would just tarry long at hearing. That we would spend an unidentified amount of time in just hearing from God. Or hearing what's being said. And specifically, what I think James is talking about here is hearing from God. Think about it. He says in verses 2 through 4, right? Consider it all joy when you encounter trials. There's the process of walking through trials. And then verse 5, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him do what? Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And then in verse 6, he begins to talk about the one who asks must ask in faith, not being double-minded or doubting that he is going to hear or receive a word from God. Well, or receive wisdom on how to walk through this trial. And this hearing, being quick to hear, is, is a reference, I think, primarily and foundationally to coming before God in the midst of our trial and hearing Him. As we come and ask God, then we wait to hear from God, right? And this means that we are, we are waiting. We're not speaking. We're not telling others. We are, we're waiting. We come before God with the, this thing in our life, this, this temptation, or we come before God with this trial in our life, and we ask God that he would give us wisdom to know how to walk and how to proceed. And we wait to hear from the Lord. Begs the question, how do we hear from God? Is it, is it an audible voice that we're waiting for just comes out of the sky and we hear? Probably not. Though that has happened, we see it in an example of Scripture where Paul hears the audible voice of God, the Lord, and he surrenders there. And, but most probably not. Rather, the hearing from the Lord is when we spend time that we've referenced earlier already, spend time in prayer, spend time in in reading and saturating our minds with the Word of God. We are spending our time in meditation and, and memorization of Scripture. And get this, we're spending our time making sure that we are sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We hear God in this way. And so he's teaching us that we are to be quick to hear. We are not to hear quickly. Rather, we are to be quick or swift. It it defines our approach in the process of hearing. And so we are to be quick to hear. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Then he goes on in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. Don't rashly jump to the place of speaking and accusing God when you come before him asking him in wisdom to or asking him to grant us wisdom that we would hear from him. So I think we see that the Word of God instructs us, the Word of truth instructs us to hear quickly hear. Come come to the place quickly of, of just pausing and hearing from God. I want to submit to you that that has huge implications and ramifications for our walk with Christ, for our personal lives as we interact with others, as we follow him, as we submit our lives to the Lord Jesus. These being quick to hear has tremendous implication. So much so that we ought to hear doubly as much as we speak. In fact, our being quick to hear ought to lead us to the place of being slow to speak for the specific reason reason of wanting to make sure that what we hear, we hear from God. Teachers are encouraged in this in chapter 3 verse 1 let not many of you become teachers my brother knowing as such will incur a stricter judgment knowing that what we speak what we say has importance it has value attached to it it has the power to transform lives by the power of the holy spirit and so he says that we ought to be quick to hear and slow to speak now many of us have probably avoided this passage because we don't like the implications for our own lives that we ought to be slow to speak. And we think about in our own lives how often we are, we are quick to speak, right? When someone says something, we're quick to respond and, and offer up a rebuttal. When somebody shares something with us that really makes us very uncomfortable because it points out perhaps a specific sin in our life or it points out something in our life that... Um, That's just sinful. It's tough to receive that humbly. And we want to speak quickly and defend ourselves, don't we? But he says, be quick to hear and be slow to speak. Chapter 3, verse 2, we'll get to this in several weeks, but he says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Verse four. Look at ships. Although they uh, look at ships, also though they are, are are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. And he compares that picture of this huge ship with a very small rudder, controlling and steering the direction of the whole vessel. So he says, it is with the tongue. It steers and directs the whole vessel of our body. It directs our very lives. It points us in directions. It takes us off on tangents that we really don't want to go on. But we find ourselves there. Why? Because we have not been slow to speak. Rather, we have been quick to speak. And we have been slow to hear. In chapter 3, he goes on to say that the tongue is a fire, a very world of iniquity. And it is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Verse 8, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And with this very tongue we both bless our Lord and Savior and we also curse men. The tongue is to be controlled We are to be quick to hear and hear this. When we are quick to hear, it guards our mouth, it guards our tongue. When we are quick to hear, when we are quick to go to that place of tarrying long in hearing, then it guards the very things that we say, it guards our speech, it guards what we do, even, and it guards our effect and impact on others. And so that the words we speak become the words of life and not the words of death. Words we speak are spoken in such a way as to edify, build up, encourage, strengthen the body, not to tear down, not to be derisive or divisive, but they are to build up. Yeah, but wh- what about someone who really needs to know their their struggle is is this? you know it's this blind spot that they're not seeing somebody's got to share with them yes i agree but first we must be quick to hear we must be quick to hear from god on how to do this and when we are quick to hear from god that it impacts the way that we speak it impacts the very uh, the very the very things which drive our lives so being quick to hear and slow to speak is very necessary for the believer. We must guard our words because our words carry weight. And they have meaning. Words are not spoken neutrally. This may seem a bit tedious, but words really do have the power to build up and to tear down. And we must be quick to be at that place of hearing. But if the grammar of Being quick to hear teaches us that we are to be quick to come to the place of of tarrying to hear. It's the same grammatical nuance for, uh, for being slow to speak. We must tarry in being careful to speak. We must come to that place and we must be careful in our speaking. We must guard what we say. Because what we say is not always what needs to be said. And if we don't tarry long in hearing, what needs to be said will not be said. What doesn't need to be said will be. So we, it's of it's, it's vital importance that we are quick to hear and we are slow to speak. Proverbs 15, one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh Word stirs up anger. And in Proverbs seventeen twenty seven it says he who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverb twenty-nine twenty. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You know, James is real practical in his teaching and as he just opens the the word for us and we we understand the word of truth instructs us in being quick to hear instructs us in being slow to speak you know I never had to take back a word that I didn't say how about you (laughs) never had to take back a word that I didn't say I think the reality is clear that as we come to the Lord we must be quick to come to hear asking God for wisdom and then we must tarry until we hear the wisdom that he has for us and it's out of that wisdom that we then can speak but we are slow to speak but not only are we slow to speak we must be slow to anger now the word anger here it's a different word it's not a verb to speak and to hear those are verbs but anger here is a noun and it's it's intentionally teaching us that anger is an emotion it's it's not an action it's something that drives action anger drives the things that we do anger has the potential to be damaging in fact, it has a great capacity to be damaging, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. And so James instructs us, be slow to anger. Don't be quick to arrive at anger. In fact, I think what we'll find, and what, what I would say in my own life, is when I'm not quick to hear and slow to anger, instead, when I am, when I am slow to hear and I'm quickly hearing and I'm, I'm quick to speak, And oftentimes that's when I'm most vulnerable to being quick to get angry and I'm not being slow to anger. He doesn't tell us that anger is a sin. Instead, James is warning us about the devastating consequences of anger as he cautions us against it. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter three speaks about anger and says, "Put aside malice and wrath and anger and, and all of these, uh, all of these vices. Put these things all aside because of the new life in Christ." In Ephesians 4:26, Paul says, "Be angry and do not sin." But while we're being quick to hear, this morning, I want us to be quick as well to acknowledge that while anger is not necessarily a sin, it is a dangerous emotion that's rarely controlled by men, but often controls men. Anger is a dangerous emotion that rarely control, is, is rarely controlled by men, but often controls men. Now, when Paul says, be angry and do not sin, there is a such thing as righteous indignation, as righteous anger. But let us not fool ourselves into thinking that all of our anger is justified, or maybe even that some of our anger is justified. When Jesus exemplifies anger in the temple that's probably the first thing we thought about is he goes in and he turns the tables over this is righteous indignation this is anger and zeal for the house of God which has consumed Christ and he comes in because they have taken and profaned the very wonderful and good thing of God and they have cheated people and so there there are things that we can get angry about and righteously do so because of Uh, our, our zeal and our love and affirmation for who God is when he is defamed that can cause us to be angry. But one commentator, as I as I read through, one commentator even said this about Moses saying thrice was Moses angry and thrice he failed to produce the mind of God. You see, we we must be careful and we must be slow to anger. And I want to submit to us this morning that if we are quick to hear and slow to speak, then we will also be slow to anger. Not only that, but if you think about it from another perspective, we will also be slow to cause other people anger if regarding what we say, right? I mean, I, I don't want to cause a brother or a sister in Christ to stumble through what I say, that could have been avoided if I had spent time hearing from God and then speaking in such a way as to edify and to lift them up. And so for us real practically this morning, we must, we must understand that being slow to anger is part of what God's Word is instructing us and in, in teaching us in. And then in verse 20 says, Be slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce The righteousness of God. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God or doesn't produce God's righteousness. That is, I'm to be slow to anger because my anger will not end up in the righteousness of God being produced in and through my life. When anger consumes me, I fail to exemplify the mind of Christ. And this is what God's word is instructing us in that 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 we would exemplify that very mind of Christ, that our lives would be God-honoring, God-exalting. We would be a light of the gospel to those whom we come in contact with, that our lives would line up and emulate, that we would grow in Christ-likeness. And so when we, when we fail to exemplify, or when we, when we are angry and anger... Um, Sinful anger brings us to the place where we fail to exemplify the mind of Christ and we fail to live the life of Christ. James is instructing us then that anger is spiritually unhealthy for the believer. It's an exercise in futility most often. And we must be very careful... We must exercise caution and be slow to anger. I wrote practically, maybe some of us this morning have, have anger issues. I, I don't know. maybe someone in here this morning really struggles with, with this issue of anger, and it quickly can boil up and boil out of control for you. And I would encourage and, and I would encourage you strongly to take this passage and memorize it and meditate on it. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. I mean, really listen for God's word. Really listen to what that person is saying and try to understand, prayerfully understand and discern what's being said here. And then prayerfully ask God, how do I respond to this person? But maybe maybe for you there's some anger issues that you need to, to deal with and allow the Lord to deal with you in. And if that's the case this morning, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord for wisdom, to know how to walk through and deal with this anger. Because Scripture is clear in instructing us that we are to be slow to anger, slow to speak, slow to anger. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22 speaks about, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaks about anger when he says, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And this word is, obviously we, we know the sentence for murder whenever a person is liable to the court. But what may not be clear, I think it is in the ESV, but what may not be readily clear in our English version is this is a grammatical equivalent for our for those who are commit murder and being liable to the court and those who are angry as being liable to the court. It's the same. And the reality is that anger is an emotion that is within. And it's not a God-honoring, God-exalting emotion most of the time. Perhaps we could say 99% of the time, or maybe there's 0.1, of a percent when it's not sin. And I want to challenge us this morning to keep our emotion in check, to keep anger in check, to be slow to anger, because if anger is not subdued and it's left unchecked, it will become a bitter spring in our lives, and eventually it will sour every good thing, and it will wreck every relationship that we have. Anger left unchecked will make us bitter, bitter people. We'll be mad at the world and won't even know why. And it's not God's design or desire that we should live in such a way and in such a manner. You know, we've all seen the cartoons that vividly depict anger. Maybe I pick on Tom and Jerry for a minute. You've seen Tom and Jerry when uh, when the... Tom's face just kind of gets boiling red and his head begins to swell and he's angry at Jerry, right? They're just arch enemies. You know what I'm talking about, kids? You see that happen? And then maybe even you see where steam starts to blow from his ears and there are scenes that flash across the screen, right? And those scenes flashing across the screen, they they generally involve explosions, something's blowing up. We kind of laugh at that. As we see it on cartoon, because it's not real, but in reality, we know that anger, when it's taken to this end, is devastating and it has devastating consequences. And every time we watch this, we think, won't Tom just learn? Right? Won't Tom just learn that anger gets him nowhere? How often are we the same, not learning that anger? does not do anything for the people that we're around. And so the way that we can be God-honoring as we walk through and as we begin to experience the emotion of anger is remembering that a, a gentle word turns away wrath, right? That we should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. But not only does the word of truth instruct us, I want us to see this morning that the word of truth also transforms us. The anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God, and then the the word of truth transforms us. In verse 21, look at what James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He says, put away, put away, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And in verse 21, what James is teaching us is that putting aside or putting away precedes the command to receive the word implanted. And so as it proceeds, or it comes before receiving the word implanted, we'll unpack this more here in a moment. But the balance, this is really the balance of last week, where we, we saw that the, the man's responsibility is contrasted, or, or not contrasted, but rather comes along God's divine enablement. And so which is to both put aside and to receive God's word, as he commands it. So therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted. That is to say that man is responsible for the sin which he has been ensnared. And this is the pattern of of temptation which leads us to death that we see in verses 13 through 15. But God himself providing wisdom which is sufficient to teach us how to walk through the trials that we go through and, and not fall into temptation. And then God, God, God's divine enablement, we see it in verses 17 and 18, every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from above. It, it comes from God. And not only is, is every good thing that given comes from God, it's that verse 18, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that is God's word literally brings us forth, births us by the word of truth. So he says we are to put aside, put away these things. How are we to understand what he means in putting aside or putting away? Is James saying that we must take a moral and and, and ethical bath before we come to God and before we experience salvation? Absolutely not. He's not saying that we have to... To clean ourselves up. Instead James is instructing us. He's instructing the church. He's instructing believers. Who are in the process of sanctification. And so the putting aside. Or the the putting away. Can only occur in the life of those. Who are already regenerate. It's like what the apostle Paul says. In 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have been made new, Art new things have come. So this putting aside can only occur in the life of the one who has been converted by the gospel to begin with. And it's in the proclamation of and believing in the gospel of Christ by faith that a person is empowered or is, is saved and, and endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit to resist and to flee temptation. So when he says, putting aside, get the connection of back in verse 13 and through 15, this putting aside these things, get the connection from verse 19, Everyone is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This matters with our words that we are putting these things aside. Putting aside those things which characterized our life before knowing Christ. The word of truth transforms us. And we put aside these things things that were in our life before knowing Christ. This putting aside is characteristic of the believer's transformed life. It is the daily battle that we fight, that we engage in. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, that in reference to the former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the seed, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so here's what he says to put aside. Put aside filthiness and abundance are rampant wickedness. Put these things aside. This filthiness is that which is moral filth. Put it aside. Put impurity aside. Put abundant evil and wickedness aside. Slander, malice, anger. Put these things aside. Why? They have no place in the life of the transformed disciple of Christ. They are not edifying for the kingdom of God. And so the word of truth not only instructs us, but also teaches us, transforms us. And we put these things aside. Evil. And look what else we... In humility, we receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. This word implanted, it's a tremendous word in the New Testament. It's a compound word, kind of like we have compound words in English, two concepts kind of joined together, right? So this compound word, one which is in, it means to be in or located in something, and then it's implanted this this word that means to be to grow up into to to come up to grow up into and so get the picture of what James is saying about the word of God it's been implanted in you and it is growing up and coming up in you and so in humility receive the word implanted which is God's word the word of truth that has come by His will and is in our life and and has brought about salvation. So here's what happens. The word of truth begins to grow up in us as we are quick to hear and slow to speak, as we are prayerful and mindful of what God is telling us and teaching us. The word of truth is being nourished and is growing up. It's been implanted within you and it's growing up in our lives. And this is what happens as the Word of God transforms us, the Word has been implanted within us. And he speaks of the way in which we are to receive the Word, right? How is that? In humility. We receive this Word implanted with humility. What does that mean? What does it mean to receive the Word in humility? Well, humility is simply this, the quality of not being overimpressed by a sense of one's self-importance, right? That's what it means to be humble. Realizing that I'm not the most important person in the room, realizing the world doesn't revolve around me. This is something we have to teach our children, right? Uh, we recognize what humility is, that it, it means we, we, put, we, we consider ourselves unworthy. And when we come to God's word and the word that's been implanted, Coming in humility means that we come as those who are beggarly in spirit, like we said about Matthew 5, 2, that we come before God as one who is unworthy, recognizing our unworthiness to even have His Word or to even be in His presence. And so the one who comes with humility, who comes in humility receiving the Word, is the one who comes and receives the Word and says... I don't deserve the goodness of God's word and I submit to God's word in my life. It's the one who says that I follow the command of God and live out God's commands and I seek to do it because he is God and I am not. It's the one who comes to God and says, God, I, I pattern my life. After your word, wanting to follow and live by your word. It's the one whom Jesus says in Matthew five, five, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 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 the earth. It's a reference back to James chapter one verse nine. When James says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. It's not about affluence. It's not about wealth in this life. But in verse 10, he says, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like the flower and grass, he will pass away. It's not about this life as much as it is about the glory of Christ. And so when you and I come before God in humility, receiving the implanted word, it is God's word, get the picture, growing up in our lives and humility, with humility and humbleness, we submit to God's word. And we are quick to hear and we are slow to speak and we are slow to anger because God's word doing this work in our life is teaching us and it's shaping us and fashioning us to be in the likeness of his glory. This is just such a tremendous picture of what happens when God's Word is implanted in us and then begins to do this work from the inside out, transforming us and causing us to, to be different in our interaction. The Word of Truth transforms us, but that's not all. Look at what he says in the last phrase, which is able to save your soul. That word for able It is the word for power. The word of truth is the power to keep you. The word of truth which is permanently planted within the believer has the power to keep you it has the power to save our soul. This is the, the process and the working in our lives of sanctification. This is God's power transforming us and changing us. The power uh, of the Word, has the, it's the power to put away defilement, to put away moral impurity. It is the power to put away all evil. It is the power to do this very thing that God has called us to do, and that is live righteously. It will not happen, church, if we are not meditating on the Word and and memorizing the Word and making the Word part of our diet daily, we will be hard-pressed to be a people who are quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger if we are not meditating and spending time hearing from the Lord, seeking out His wisdom. Too many times we get caught in this routine of just going about our life and not really... Seeking to grow in Christ and follow him. Understand the word of truth instructs us and the word of truth transforms us. So this morning, the challenge before us is very clear. First off, do you know Jesus Christ? Because everything we've said this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the word of God is not implanted in your life. The Bible teaches that there is no power there for your life to be lived because we cannot live in such a way as to earn our own. We can't, we can't take a moral bath. We can't take a bath that cleanses us from our evil in our own strength. We, we come to God and God does that. We don't have to clean up our act first. So do you know Jesus? Has he saved your soul? Have you Surrendered to his lordship in your life, meaning is he the one who is in charge and reigning and ruling? And do you submit to him? Secondly, is this or Christian, are you putting away impurity and evil, immorality from your life? Are you actively putting those things away? Seeking to follow and pursue Christ. Your greatest defense against these things, these evil, abundant evil and and impurity in life, filth. The greatest defense against that is God's word. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit takes God's word and transforms us. The Holy Spirit working in our lives does this. Thirdly, is the word of truth transforming us, me? You. Is the word of truth transforming us? Are we being quick to hear and so to speak? And finally, maybe you're one whose anger is out of control. And this is the beginning point this morning of confessing that and seeking God's strength, seeking God's wisdom. To walk through and to submit, subdue, keep anger checked and reined in. I want to offer this morning a just a, a formal time for response. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here this morning who says, "You know, I I don't know Christ, and uh, there's some things that I need to investigate. And uh, maybe, maybe you want to just Maybe you need somebody to pray with you and just want to inquire and speak more. You can come this morning and I'll pray with you right here, right now. And we'll even talk after the service. Or you can call me this week. But if God is leading you this morning, don't don't delay. Maybe this morning there's something else that you're struggling with. And you need to spend some time on your knees before the Lord committing and confessing that to him. Maybe you want to use these steps this morning just to come and kneel down and pray. You can do that as well. But I want to encourage you this morning to respond as the Lord is challenging you. Make the commitment that He's calling you to make that you sense in your spirit. Confess those things before Him. Let us pray. Father, thank You. for.